This is episode 85 of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast, and I'm your host, John S. In today's episode, we'll meet Dan M. from London, England. Dan helped start the first agnostic AA group in the city of London. He'll talk about his experience in AA, secular, and otherwise. Hey, Dan, how you doing? I'm very well. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you very much for uh, joining me here and doing this podcast. Typically, um, what I'd like to do is... Um, start by getting to know you through your story in Alcoholics Anonymous. Would you mind sharing with me and the audience out there uh, what happened that got you into AA and your experience up up, up to now and uh, kind of just take it from there? Yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, it occurs to me, actually, the fact that I'm even able to do that is almost something of a miracle in itself. I mean, mm-hmm. I think one of the things... Uh, I've kind of learnt from AA is I've kind of figured out what my story is and I've been able to articulate it, you know, Mm -hmm. and kind of find language for it. And uh, I just take it as a given now that I can talk about things and how I'm feeling and problems and all that kind of stuff. But for a long time, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't talk about it. And it was all kind of a, you know, a a terrible kind of shameful secret and full of embarrassment and all of the things that people talk about as AA meetings. Uh, So it kind of, uh, it it sort of does me good to remember that, you know, the ease with, with which I can talk about this stuff is just in itself like a huge thing really isn't it when you yes, think about it, it. but um okay yeah so i have a i have a bit of a kind of a bog standard um uh, story in some respects uh and what i mean by that is that when i when i kind of made it to aa and started hearing people talking about their drinking what they were like drinking before they drank their childhood all of that stuff i just recognized so much of it i just connected with it on such a kind of visceral level i, I sort of knew straight away i was in the right place and i've kind of heard my own story back from other people in dribs and drabs as parts of their story that I can knit together. Uh, So, I mean, I had a, I I suppose, a reasonably difficult childhood. I was different from my brothers in various ways. Uh, I was already very interested in ways to change how I felt about things. Uh, I could tell lots of stories, but my brother, my younger brother tells one good story about me. I guess I would have been, I'm going to say something like eight, around about eight years old. Uh, I don't remember this story, but I certainly believe him. Um, And I I saved up my pocket money for several weeks in a row and then went out and bought a whole load of sweets. We have these sweets in the UK called... um, what are they called? They used to be called opal fruits. I think they're called Starburst or something like that. Kind of individually wrapped, brightly coloured, sort of fruit-flavoured, chewy kind of sweets. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was a big fan of these things. And uh, according to him, what I did was I unwrapped them all, all, all of them, without eating any of them, and then sorted them out into the different colours and then started just picking up handfuls of them and stuffing them in my mouth and turned to him saying, I don't care, Tom, I just don't care. 
And, uh, you know, in a way, that was it. You know, you could almost, if it was a movie, you could almost fast forward to me, you know, walking down the stairs into my first AA meeting, you know. But, um, yeah, so there was lots of that. I I discovered drinking. I I definitely got drunk before the age of 10 at a family wedding or some kind of party Mm. or something, going around, you know, drinking the dregs out of uh, people's glasses, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it works, doesn't it? And mm-hmm. um, and it's—I don't know what to say. In a way, that was, in some ways, that was as good as my drinking ever was, really, because mm-hmm. you know it's this amazing, magical potion that turned me from this anxious, uh, extremely shy. Well, you see, I say that um, uh, you know, this sort of concept of a shy show-off, if you yeah. know what I mean. So yeah. I, I, I would crave attention, but they're not know what to do with it <laughs> yeah. and other times i'd want to kind of melt into the background and be invisible yeah i'd, I'd love the effect of alcohol um the, the first time i ever had it and it just made it easy to talk to people i could kind of relax it was like taking off um taking off a pair of shoes that's just far too tight you know it would, mm-hmm. be, it would be that kind of sense of relief and i could just ease myself into uh trying to relate to people and talk to people uh, and i did feel different from people you know i've got memories of being at primary school standing in the playground and just watching everyone and just thinking how are they doing this how do they know how to do this i I definitely felt out of place um from the word go i would say and alcohol was a very effective solution to that you know for as long as it was a solution Uh, anyway i won't tell the whole story so um you know i'd say my drinking took off kind of properly uh when i was at university and uh when i left university and i was suddenly out in the world living my um sorry trying to you know trying to live my life i got my first job uh which is a good job and i just suddenly had all of this responsibility that i could not make sense of I, i didn't even know how to start being an adult really uh, is probably the best way of putting it and my drinking it was sort of always there it was sort of always there as a as a relief uh as a social lubricant as a way of talking to people um as an escape from responsibility and it just kind of got bigger it just got bigger and bigger and it moved towards the center of my world and it displaced displaced other things it kind of pushed things out from the center and um you know i would say by the end of my 20s the last three three or four years i would guess i wasn't able to work by then um i was living on various benefits i was kind of living in a room in a house in a kind of drinky druggy sort of house share in London, um, and I wasn't just living in that room. I was really living in my head in that room, in a kind of fantasy world. It'd be like kind of like climbing up through a step ladder, through a trapdoor into my head, where I was in a fantasy world, and I just wanted to stay there. Mm-hmm. And it was I heard someone in an AA meeting talk about um, gyro to gyro drinking, and what he meant by that was, uh, in those days anyway, you used to get your state benefits. Uh, in the form of a gyro check every two weeks and I would just get that check and then it would be drinking be a party for a day or two and then it would have be no money after that and that's kind of that's kind of where I got to um you know my story didn't go as as low as lots of people I've heard subsequently since coming Mm -hmm. to IA Uh, but what I what I did realize when I um started doing the steps and doing step one and writing things down was I really was just a hair's breadth away 
from all of the really bad stuff. Yeah. You know, it wasn't, it wouldn't have been very long. You know, I was spending my rent money and my flatmates rent money on alcohol. So that's quite mm-hmm. a good way to end up homeless. I was doing slightly creative things with credit cards, which is quite a good way to make friends with the police. Uh, so, do you know what I mean? So it was just, it was all about to go up a gear. Uh, and what happened for me was a flatmate who um, had been with me in those hedonistic days. So you know, when it was still fun earlier in my 20s, um, I mean, it was the kind of flat share where you walk into the lounge and at any given time of day, someone will be rolling a joint, that kind of flat share. And uh, we did a lot of that together. And uh, and then she kind of left and grew up and she actually got back with an old boyfriend uh, who was in AA. So they'd split up when he was drinking. He got into AA. I'd never met him at this point. Uh, and she got back with him uh, and she could see this thing in me. And one day she just sent me through the post, arrived the big book, Alcoholics oh. Anonymous, uh, with a, a note on it saying, oh, so I feel myself getting a little bit upset now as I remember it. <laughs> it's, it's such a big thing. Uh, a little note saying, um, Dan, uh, thought you might find this interesting, love Anne-Marie. And uh, as you can imagine, anytime I shared that at AA meetings, it's quite likely for someone to come up to me afterwards and tell me that was my higher power working. Right. But I, I suspect it was actually my friend Anne-Marie. Right. You know, <laughs> I think the clue was in the signature. Uh, but things, I read it and um, it absolutely spoke to me straight away you know um there were bits in it uh, i absolutely identified with to the point that was almost excruciating uh certainly some of the stories i recommend anyone to read that book from the back to the front that's kind of what i did for me there was too much god at the beginning that was immediately off-putting to me but then at the same time when i did read some of that stuff there was stuff in there that wasn't the more kind of spooky stuff uh, sure. it was absolutely true i mean the chapter more about alcoholism just telling me about the nature of this thing to stop and not being able to and craving and the, all the weird mental tricks that it mm-hmm. would play on me i mean by the time I'd, i was reading that book i'd i'd had a couple of periods on my own where i'd been able to stop drinking just mm-hmm. out of kind of sheer willpower and mm-hmm. fear and Actually, it's worth quickly recounting this because it does me no harm to remember it. I'd, I'd been able to say stop for about seven months at one point on my own, and I was seeing uh, an alcohol counsellor, uh, I remember at the time. And um, and I was on my way to see the counsellor on this very day. And the thing is, it's easy not to drink when you don't want to drink. I mean, it's easy, isn't it? Uh, but what happened was I was on my way to see the counsellor, and I just suddenly knew I was going to go and drink. And it didn't feel like any kind of decision felt like a committee somewhere had had a meeting and made a decision. And I was just being informed of the outcome. And I had this wave of excitement and adrenaline went through my body. And I went and I still kept this appointment. I got there a bit early. uh, And so I had a bit of time to kill. I went and sat in a pub and had a soft drink, planning all of the alcohol I was going to drink after seeing my alcohol counsellor. And then I went and saw the counsellor and I just didn't mention it to her at all. I just kept absolutely quiet about this and told a whole lot of lies about, you know, things are looking up. And, oh, I applied for a job the other day. Just all of this crap completely uh got completely drunk and and after that passed when i kind of picked myself up and i was thinking about that and i was thinking about the way the thought had come into my head and it hadn't felt like a decision and the well the right word is insanity isn't it like just the the madness of it just the the craziness of not knowing my own mind you know you would think of the if one thing you're in control of it's your own mind or naively i would have thought that Mm -hmm. and i was so 
baffled by that. You know, it's like you've got it's like you've got this intermittent illness. It's like it's like you've got a rash, like a rash somewhere in your body that comes and goes, and sometimes right. it flares, and other times it doesn't. And on the very day that it flares up, you happen to have an appointment with the doctor, mm-hmm. but then you don't show it to the doctor. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> I mean, that that's kind of what it was, isn't it? And um, and when I read, you know, those years later, when I read those bits uh, more about alcoholism and stuff like that in the uh, you know in the literature, mm-hmm. and heard people talking about the nature of alcoholism Mm -hmm. absolutely rang true to me and i knew that these people knew what i was like because they're drinking what am i trying to say they got it it was absolutely clear that they got it uh and that was incredibly hopeful to me because you know I, i remember the first meeting i went to i remember i remember it was near clapham common in south london i remember walking there and that was like you know that was like a March to the mm-hmm. gallows to me, like going to my first day A meeting. And I nearly went in a couple of times and veered off at the last second, had to walk around the block. Yeah, you know I mean? did that too. <laughs> did you? Yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah. It's yeah. almost like it's almost like kind of walking into your first porn cinema. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was absolutely terrified <laughs> to open that door and walk away many yeah. times before I went in. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And I, I walked down the steps in the basement, down the steps, and someone put out their hand said hello and they said are you new although it was probably kind of obvious looking at the mm-hmm. state of me that was uh, and i said yes and he said you never need to drink again i feel myself getting upset now because it's so what a fundamentally amazing thing mm-hmm. to tell uh, an alcoholic do you yeah. mean there's you don't have to drink again yeah and uh, i sat and listened at that meeting and i mean by then i'd read some of the some of the mm-hmm. literature because my friend sent me the book it's probably a bit unusual for mm-hmm. it to be that way around i imagine mm-hmm. for most so i kind of had a sense that you know because i had identification with the stories in the mm-hmm. book and the same thing happened in the meeting mm-hmm. and so then there was this mismatch so i'd be sitting there hearing people talking about the drinking right how bad their lives had been uh which all matched up with my experience to a greater or lesser extent and yet they were sober and some of them had been sober a long time and mm-hmm. they were talking about their lives and how their lives have got better. Right. And it was absolutely clear to me that this would help me. So that's So that's here in the Midwestern United States, if if they most groups, if they have a new person, they give what's called a first step meeting where they go around the room and share their stories. Is that what they did for you? No, no, not not explicitly. Mm-hmm. Um, and what do they kind of share directly to the person? Yes, they do. It's a little, it's a little heavy sometimes, but that, that's oh typical God. here in the I Midwest. Would, mm-hmm. I would run. <laughs> hundred yeah, that would be. Impressive. You see, one of the things I like most about Alcoholics Anonymous is that the anonymity is not just, you know, that, that we're anonymous out in the world, right. but also I, I really like the way if you're shy as I was, yes. um, you can actually just sit at the back of an AA meeting and not say anything That's right. for years if right. you want. Right. So you can just sit there and you can just listen. And I think I did say my name in that first meeting and mm-hmm. I didn't go into anything. And then I didn't really speak for quite a while. I just sat and listened and listened and listened and went mm-hmm. to lots of meetings. And I was amazed at how people were able to talk about their feelings. Yeah, that's that was um, got me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and particularly men, mm-hmm. you know, men yep. talking about their feelings, kind of frightening, tough guys talking about their feelings, and yep. how, how lost they felt, you know, at primary school maybe, or how lost they can feel now in their job. And, mm-hmm. and just sitting there thinking, 
God, it's not just me. And it was, it was, it was the beginning of the end of that isolation. Yeah. So how long ago I, was that at your first meeting? That was 2000. Yeah, that okay. was 2000. Good time ago then. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a while ago now. Um, and did you identify as a non-believer when you went to that first meeting? I've been an atheist as long as I can remember. I mean, mm-hmm. ever since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. In fact, that that's a good kind of little moment, a, a very brief little story, mm-hmm. which is I remember um, I actually went to school in uh, Northern Ireland, which um, for any of your listeners in the UK will know is like mm-hmm. one of the most religious parts of the UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you've got one kind of Christian killing another kind of Christian. Right. And, you know... <laughs> Jesus is love. Uh, do you know yeah. what I mean? Oddly enough, but um, anyway, I uh, the schools there are quite religious, um, and I went to uh, one of the Protestant schools. Mm-hmm. We, you know, me and my brothers, we weren't any kind of religion. And I remember being exposed to it. Might have been in some school assembly, some prayer or something. I can't remember what it was now, but I remember quite early. You know, quite early, maybe like before secondary school, so I guess, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11, that kind of age, hearing what they were saying and just realizing that if I believed that, then I'd have to believe in Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy too. Mm -hmm. I I just, they're on a par to me intellectually. I just don't, how can you believe that, you know? And um, so, yeah, so when I got to AA, I mean, that was the big sticking point for me. You know, I'll be absolutely honest, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, hearing people in meetings and more so the literature, I had these very mixed feelings. Mm-hmm. So on the one hand, there was all this identification going on. There was something growing inside me. There was an ending to the isolation. There was something in me that was reaching out to people. There was all of this hopeful stuff. And then I would turn the page and there would be all of this, you know, religious crap. And I would just think, oh, God, they've ruined it. (laughs) They almost got it right. Right. This is such a near miss. What a shame. Uh, And, you know, on and off over the years in AA, it's been more of a problem to me at times than other times. But I've never, ever swallowed it. I've never, I've never never believed it i've never been through a period of believing it i mean i had a sponsor i was kind of broken enough uh, and teachable enough uh when i got there so that my first sponsor wanted me to pray you know that's yeah. one of the things he wanted me to do and i was broken enough to just do that mm-hmm. and I, I i did just do that and i did it for a period of time i mean it was it was i mean it was months rather than years but on the other hand, it was months rather than days. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, I, I don't know if it was, let's say, six months, something like that. And at some point in that period, I went to an event, a kind of sceptical kind of conference type mm-hmm. event that was nothing to do with AA at a place called Conway Hall in London, uh, which is uh, quite a famous kind of sceptical secular um, venue and has got a history uh, in the UK. And uh, above the stage there, it had the phrase... Um, to thine own self be true, which I believe is a quote from Shakespeare. And um, I just remember thinking that all of the fake it to make it stuff in AA, it just, it was feeling more and more fake. Right. And to thine own self be true, just felt authentic in a Mm -hmm. way that when I thought about that, I felt more substantial and real and genuine as a person. Mm -hmm. So I just let go of it. I just stopped praying uh, and I didn't, I didn't hit the bottle. So I've never stopped stopping praying, if you see what I mean. How do you approach the program now? Um, how do you deal with the the belief aspect of the program, the spiritual part, do they say? Well, now, that's a good question, John. I mean, now, I don't know, mm-hmm. in all honesty with you, where I am at the moment with AA in the program. Um, I mean, I've, I've quite recently returned to AA. 
uh, after it's either four and a half or five and a half years of, of not going to meetings. I think mm-hmm. it's four and a half. And I've got, there's a certain separation now between me and the program mm-hmm. that I'm not sure. Well, first of all, I'm not sure if I'm back. back. Right. I'm not sure if I'm just back for a bit. Uh, and I'm not sure if I am back, if I'm going to be finding a sponsor and thinking about the steps. Or right. Um, no, I can relate. I have kind of an odd relationship with AA. And on one hand, I'm very, very involved with it. And I we have secular meetings here in Kansas City. So I go to those meetings. But I can hardly stomach a traditional AA meeting anymore. So <laughs> <Yeah>. on one hand, <laughs> on one hand, I'm in AA. But on the other hand, um, if it weren't for having the option of having a secular AA meeting, I'm not, you know, so. Um, well, Okay, I, that, that's interesting. So, what maybe what we should talk about for a bit then is let's talk about secular AA then, okay? Because uh, that's that's kind of what's brought us together, really, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, it is. That's you know, that's 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 your raison d'être with the past with this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so what happened for me was I nearly left AA. I would say about three times, and on mm. the third time, I did actually leave and have this kind of little um, sabbatical away. The first time. Um, I would have been about five or six years sober where it just felt like uh, nothing nothing big or dramatic happened. I just kind of felt like the enthusiasm for it was draining out of me. And as a constant kind of background radiation to that, there was just all of this religious stuff the whole yeah. time, all of the unwanted advice giving, all of the slogans, all of the, um, you know, the fascination with acronyms, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all of the uh, over-interpretation of absolutely random chance and coincidences right. that people see, you know, the celestial air traffic controller arrangement Mm -hmm. things for people all of that stuff um and i didn't leave and instead what i did i had a kind of very you've been programmed by aa thought instead of leaving i did 90 meetings in 90 days Mm -hmm. and i just got back into it and Mm -hmm. i got a new commit i might have got a new sponsor Uh, and then i nearly left it again in 2009 and instead i actually was involved in setting up the we agnostics step meeting Mm -hmm. which was the first kind of agnostic and atheist meeting in London AA, mm-hmm. so, certainly in recent years. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've heard, I've heard rumours about there having been one years before I was in AA mm-hmm. and it kind of folding. Yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't really know anything about that one. But um, mm. I, you know, I had enough friends by then. And, you know, by then I was, you know, nine years sober. So I had, I had some kind of center of mass to me right. and thought well you know i haven't drunk and i haven't i haven't gone completely nuts and so we decided to set up uh, an agnostic meeting we decided to call it we agnostics because mm-hmm. that's a chapter in the book so right. that should be too so i want not too revolutionary right you know, we'll, 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 we'll choose a phrase from the book uh, and then um someone who i was doing a shift with at the uh, i used to answer phones at the telephone office here um and someone a guy who i've only met that one time on that one shift uh, made a suggestion when i was talking about setting up this meeting he said well if you're going to do that you should make it a step meeting because that's going to be where people have a problem with mm-hmm. you know all the god stuff yeah and look, looking back on it I, I really do think that was a stroke of genius mm-hmm. because what it meant was that this was not a we hate god in aa meeting yeah. good point it, it, yeah, it was a step meeting. Mm-hmm. It also it also meant that when we had the very first meeting, 
um, you know, which we, the bunch of us involved in setting up, we'd be going around announcing it at other meetings that it was starting up and the, you know, the name was raising some eyebrows and some people were not happy with the idea of an agnostic step meeting. Uh, but, but because it was a step meeting, when we actually had the first meeting of it, which I think was January 2009, quite a lot of people turned up. I think we had maybe around 30, 35 people. Oh my people. goodness. Yeah, it was it was a big first meeting, wow. but I think but I think they were expecting a spectacle or a, a scrap or a fight <laughs> or, some, or something dramatic. But uh-huh. of course, the great thing was because it was a step meeting, right. it was just a, it was just a step one meeting. There you so go. No mention of God at all. Right. And I really do. I want to thank that guy whose name I don't even remember from the phone office for having that idea because mm-hmm. it did not become a slagging off god in aa meeting mm-hmm. it's never been that good yeah and it did very well it did it did very well it's still going now all mm-hmm. those years later although mm-hmm. it's going to move to venue mm-hmm. um and yeah that was that was great for me because you know i'd realized that i had i felt like i didn't have a home in aa yeah and i'd, I'd be looking for my home in aa and suddenly the, the answer was obvious you've got to just make your home in AA. yeah absolutely just, that's what you have to start do a meeting. yeah yeah you're right yeah. and it's that's the, that's the kind of advantage of the slightly kind of anarchic thing about a is that mm-hmm. anyone can just set up a meeting and they mm-hmm. can't stop you you know mm-hmm. um so yeah it's and now there's um one two three four i think there's five agnostic stroke atheist stroke free thinking mm-hmm. type meetings in uh, in london oh, that's great uh, yeah and they've all what's nice about them is they've all got kind of a theme so there's a step meeting uh, there's another meeting in the same venue on a different night and that's more of a just like a general meeting mm-hmm. like a speaker meeting uh, and um my, at the moment, my current favourite one is the one I'll be going to uh, tonight, actually, Saturday night, after we finish talking, which is the um, Step 11 Atheist and Agnostic oh. meeting, which um, has got a bit of, I guess it's kind of watered-down Buddhist mm-hmm. meditation. Oh, okay, do meditation. Do, yeah, so we do some meditation, so that's very nice. Uh, and the most recent one that started up uh, very recently, which um, is, to me, the most radical one and the most uh, kind of exciting one, is the... LGBT uh, heathens hmm. <laughs> AA meeting uh, on a Wednesday night, which I've been going to, and I enjoy that. And mm-hmm. um, the people there who set that up, they've really, they've really taken control. You know, they've taken ownership of it in a way that I don't think we dared to. Yeah. So we, you know, we were careful to call it we agnostics and make it a step meeting. Uh, but at this other meeting, they have, um, you know, they have alternative versions of the steps, and you just choose a random one and read out the one that you want and people aren't expected to identify as being alcoholic if they don't want to mm-hmm. uh, and it's very very open it feels very spacious and there's a lot of a lot of room for people to kind of be themselves at the meeting yeah. so um, and it, that seems to be doing very well so i i have a feeling i don't know what you think um you know from uh, your viewpoint mm-hmm. but i have a feeling that actually we're at the beginning of something i think some, so I think so. Absolutely. We've certainly the number of um, agnostic or secular AA meetings have grown exponentially since, uh, oh gosh, 2014 anyway. I mean, since that convention in Santa Monica 
Yeah. And uh, that, and we've networked so well online. I mean, it's pretty phenomenal I, that, that I even know about what's going on in London and I know what's going on in Ireland and I know what's going on in Australia. Yeah. You know, it's pretty incredible, you know, um, but they're, they're, these secular AA meetings are taking off all over the world. And what I find really interesting too is um, culturally, you know, I, 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 I know that the UK is, is a pretty secular nation. I mean, that religion has pretty much gone by the wayside, hasn't it, for the most part? Well, yes. it's, yeah, it's, it's, you know, I, I kind of feel like we're the mirror image of the uh-huh. States in some ways. Because, oh, really? Uh, well, I mean, so it's, well, what I mean by that is, so like in the States, you know, you, you have a absolute, totally secular government. Like, you do, that, that, right. That's the, that's the way it was set up. But actually. But we're very you know, religious. Yeah, but you're very religious. Uh-huh. Whereas over here, we've actually got an established exactly, church. Exactly, right. You know, so the, so the queen is literally the head of the church. That's of right. And yeah. We have bishops and uh, yeah. uh, and and so forth in the um, you know, in the House of Lords. Uh, but but culturally, right. we're pre- we're pretty secular. So it's uh, it's a funny kind of you know, it's like the but, mirror image. Of but it's happening. not necessarily that way in AA in in the UK, is it? Uh, no. Well, I see most people who I come across in AA. Uh-huh. Um, I would say your average AA member, I, I don't think they're religious, right. but I think they have some spooky magic thing. So right. They're not, they're not going to church necessarily, right? But there, but there is magical thinking, right? You know, there is. I had a quick word of my higher power, and I got a parking space. And right. I just exactly. That, yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's it's kind of that way that here kind of too. I mean, I don't think that um, most of the people who are alcoholics were actually churchgoers. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, but they show up at AA, and they do. They do make AA their religion here, and um, then it's gotten very, in some groups, kind of uh, rigid about the approach you need to take and all, all of that. So, well, um, but there's no, there's another dimension there, though, isn't there? So there's obviously all the higher power stuff right. and that kind of kind of religiousy kind of bit, but then there's also the whole kind of cult of sponsorship thing. Oh yeah, as well, absolutely. Isn't yeah, there? that kind of that kind of troubles me a little bit. And yeah, I think too, like. I think what it is, I have to investigate this a little bit more, Dan, but it's this whole Clancy um, cult thing about sponsorship where you have, where it makes a really big deal about having these really controlling sponsors and they have a whole lineage of sponsors so that you can trace your sponsor back um, down this you know, this family tree, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. and the grand sponsor is actually plays a very important role in making sure that the guy is staying in line and doing what the sponsor says and all this kind of crap. That kind of troubles me. And there are some groups here that do that, but it's kind of odd. You know, I've met, I've met people from those groups and some of them have actually attended our meetings and they've been actually very nice and they haven't caused us any problem whatsoever. <laughs> so. Yes. Yes. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, we've, we've, we've got some of that going on here as well. And yeah. I think, I think the root of it is probably all the same thing. Yeah. 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 We've got these back to basics meetings yeah. here. And mm-hmm. um, there's another phrase now, which is escaping me. And yeah, they're quite controlling. I mean, now in this, in my kind of current AA incarnation, um, I mean, I've been, I've been going to the meetings now for, I guess maybe about three months or so. I've been kind of back in London AA meetings. I'm, I'm only going to the kind of agnostic. Yeah, that's all I do too now. Yeah, yeah, and I'm, I'm perfectly happy in this little bubble. Right, me too. Uh, And I kind of now, I've kind of, don't know how to put it. I've kind of. I'm not really worried about what happens in other meetings now. Right. I kind of know Saturday night I'm going to go to this meditation meeting. Tuesday night I go to the step meeting. It's fine. It's absolutely right. fine for me at the moment. So. Well, isn't that funny? That that really really is the genius of AA. The way they set it up, where every group can do its own thing. 
you know, and if you don't like what's going on, you can start your own meeting and do your own thing. And that's pretty much what we do. It's nice to have that option, you know, to be able to do yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not it's not without problems uh, at the same time, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are. I mean, we have never had any difficulty um, um, getting listed as a meeting right. or anything like that when we started our meeting. But you know, the local intergroup, uh, which I had to go to because uh, there was an issue about public liability insurance for the venue yeah. that we were renting. Yeah, so it's it's a bit boring. But um, you know, I was not welcome there, and uh, there was yeah. lots of kind of sniggering and laughter, and we never did in the end get the bit of paperwork that we should have had for our public liability insurance yeah that's so the thing you do get it from the individual aa members you get a little bit of um yeah it's, it's individual individual people who've, yeah. who've got their own agenda uh and there are kind of people sticking their nose into other people's business yeah uh, I, th- I think that happens quite a lot well i can tell you a little story of an experience i had w- kind of along those lines i i'm on the board of directors for our central office which is what you'd call your inner group i guess oh yeah and, yeah and so when they when i i volunteered to do this because nobody nobody else wanted to do it no one else i said okay i'll do it you know i want to help out they're having problems right now so they took a vote to put me on and they only had one question of me uh, this guy said did you get sober through the 12 steps of alcoholics anonymous and, you know, he and I, I said, well, yeah, I did. I mean, I, I just thought that was the truth. But um, it kind of bothered me a little bit because I know that that isn't a question he asked everybody. In fact, he said that he says, well, good. That's what I ask every agnostic I meet. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like that was the test. And, and the answer I should have given is, you know what? It's none of your damn business. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. it has nothing to do with my qualification to be on this board of directors, you know, and it's kind of insulting that um, it's only non-believers that you would even ask such a question no no it's very it's very revealing yeah it it is so there's a little bit of prejudice like that you know well the thing is i think it is i think it is actually threatening to some people yeah you know i think i mean and i kind of i've noticed in myself actually i mean it's it's been quite interesting having a break away and then coming back because i'm definitely a lot less uptight um there's definitely something, you know, that phenomenon that can happen to people when they're, say, between three, five, and seven years sober, when they become very sure about everything. Yeah, yeah. Is that, do you, is that familiar to yes, you? Yes, you know I, I experienced that. that, yes. Yeah, so I, I, I no doubt had my version of that. And, you know, things which were to do with other people's recovery would annoy me because I had how I was doing it and right. I knew what was authentic. And although I wouldn't go around challenging people and telling them there is no God, you know, I, di- I never did any of that stuff. Um, I, I definitely had a feeling about how things should be done. And I think now, now I, I really don't now because I've because mm-hmm. I feel like I've got a home now. And I think when that guy asked you that question, it was touching that bit of him, wasn't it? He's a bit threatened. Right. Well, he's a bit unsure of you. He doesn't, because he, he can't see how he could have got sober. Right. Without, without a 12. And he just wants to be sure that you're really on the team. You know, That's I, right. I think, I think it's that, isn't it? Right. Right. And they do believe that they, they sincerely believe, I guess, that there is a God that's doing it all. Another episode I had, um, they were going to, they told me in advance, the, the president of the board said, you know, we're going to have a vote to eliminate the Lord's prayer at the end of our board meetings. I thought, well, that's wow. really, that's really nice of you to do that. You know, c- out of consideration of my feelings, it's really nice of you to do that. Right. So they had a damn vote about it though, you know, and oh boy, you know, the, the, this one guy says, it's God that keeps us sober. I said, no, it's not, not for all of us, you know, and I yeah. 
Anyway, yeah, yeah. I gave a very impassioned plea to not to uh, make a case against the Lord's Prayer, but they all voted me down. And so I said, well, I'll tell you what, when you guys, you say that Lord's Prayer, I'm going to walk out the door and you just think about all the alcoholics that turn away and walk and never come back because of that damn Lord's Prayer. You know? Well, I, I, genu- I genuinely wonder about that. Yeah, yeah. I really do. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I do. Yeah, I mean, how many, how many people who just cannot stomach it? Oh, yeah, I know there's a lot know? of them. The only people yeah. that you see, and that's the whole problem, the only people that stick around are the people who can stomach it. And and, yeah. and, and they what they do, and they, I did the same damn thing. I wasn't particularly religious, but I learned the language of AA, and I learned how to do all that talk. And so any newcomer will come in, and they would hear me talking along the same lines as everybody else, and they look, yeah. they'll look at it and say, this is really wacky. Now, yeah. actually, now you, you you've just reminded me of something. That we, I think this is a very interesting point. This this thing about language and learning mm. the language, uh, because um, you know, having come back to AA, suddenly I'm hearing all of this language again. Uh, and what I realised happened for me was when I went to my first AA meeting and I heard people talking about all of their feelings and I was so impressed by the fact that people were even able to do that. I mean, sometimes it was cringingly embarrassing. I'd just be sitting there squirming, you know. Um, and what I realized happened for me was I it, taught, it, it handed me a vocabulary and a forum to talk about my feelings. And after a long time of just sitting listening to people, I was able to borrow the courage that was in the room and start talking about my feelings. Mm-hmm. And so to start with, all the vocabulary was an extremely empowering thing because mm-hmm. I could start talking and articulating things. And then over a period of time, what I realized now, looking back, I don't think I had any insight uh, into this when it was going on. But over a period of time, that language turned into something a bit more like a straitjacket. Yeah. So it was, you know, it's 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 supportive to. You know, mm-hmm. Here's a good, here's 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 a good analogy. So you know, little kids are learning to ride a bike. Mm-hmm. They can have those little wheels that go on the side of the bike. We call them stabilizers over here. I don't know if maybe what you call them. You have the kind of little extra wheels. Right, you, right. wheelies. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know what we call them. But you're right. Yeah, but you, but you know what I mean. So yeah. right. So if you think about what that does initially, is it allows you to ride a bike. Uh-huh. You don't fall off, and it stabilizes you. Right. But then after you get good at riding a bike. It's constricting you, isn't it? Because right, you want to go off a pavement and you want to ride over, you know, over kind of rough terrain Good or point. something. Yes. Yeah. And I think I think that's what happened with me and the language was yep. it was this amazing opening up thing. Oh yeah. But then there came a point where it stopped opening up and it started closing oh, down. Man, that's me. such a great, great example. Yeah. You are so right. That's exactly how it was for me. It took yeah, me a yeah. long time. I was like twenty five years doing all that talk when I read the God delusion and then that changed everything for me. Yeah. Yeah, And I was sure I was an atheist and I rethought everything with AA and I wasn't speaking that language anymore. And it was freeing for me. But people don't like it. I didn't like it at all. I was not accepted at all. And that's why I I ended up helping start this Are We Agnostics group in Kansas City. They they thought I was a nut. They thought they they couldn't believe what was coming out of my mouth. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So so, so the danger is, I mean, we're, you know – we're, we're, we're a little bit unusual in AA, yeah. okay, so we're not the majority. But, of course, there's no guarantee that our meetings won't become like that too. Oh, boy, you're right. You know, with, with just different language or you're different right. things which are accepted. So one of, the, one of the things I find so exciting about the um, the Wednesday night meeting, the, the most recent one, is 
so like with the step meeting that uh, I helped start, we finished that with the responsibility pledge. Mm-hmm. So, we, you know, we wanted to finish with something. Yeah. We wanted it to be a bit of AA literature. So and we, we didn't want to say the serenity prayer, obviously. Uh, so we finished with that. Um, but with the uh, with the Wednesday night meeting, this um, LGBTQ heathens meeting, uh, they finish with uh, a minute's silence. Oh, that's nice. Now, well, but what's the opposite of everyone saying something? It's oh. no one saying anything. And I think there's, that's really clever. I'm really, every time it moves me at the end of that meeting yeah. where I'm not chanting something, even if, it, even if it's something I oh, believe yeah. in, where everyone's just sitting quietly. I think, yeah, brilliant. Really, well, really it's kind of funny. Um, our group actually, we, we don't do any kind of, obviously we don't do any opening or closing prayer. We do not open with a moment of silence. And that was kind of a fight for a while. Some people wanted to do it. And I objected actually to opening with a moment of silence because to me, it seemed like a phony prayer. I just hated it. I don't like, yeah. I, I, I just really resist any kind of a group thing where we all have to do something together. And like then, a ritual. Yeah. And then we don't do any kind of a closing. We just say, okay, the meeting's over. Thanks for coming. Um, but we actually were going to introduce the responsibility statement and the mm. group voted it down because they don't like having to do some kind of a ritualistic group recitation of anything yeah so we so we just don't do anything we say you know we do start we do open the meeting with reading the aa preamble we do that and then we give out chips for people that are sober for you know periods of time and stuff like that mm. but isn't, isn't it exciting though to just take ownership of it, oh, and, it just, and just and just make it what you want you yeah, know it is. and that so um it just reminded me of something you said earlier on, you know, the, the people who can stomach it are, uh, are the people who stick around. So right. they're the only people you hear. That actually reminded me of, I don't know if this happened for you when you started your meeting, but after after a few weeks of our um, step meeting, um, this would have been 2009, um, people started coming to the meeting who had not been to AA for years. Yep. So yep. quite a few people who were like, you know, a decade sober mm-hmm. or even longer were turning up. And they were sort of in recovery from AA. Exactly, yes. Yeah. So there's a little bit of, you know, it, it, it was mainly positive stuff about right. what they liked, liked about our meeting. But then there was also a bit of grumbling about AA. Yes. And, you know, we definitely had a kind of a community of people who had more than just drinking in common. Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. They also had a kind of... They also had a kind of sober trauma of having to exactly. fit themselves into an AA mold Absolutely. to recover from as well, which yep. uh, which is quite interesting, I think. We had that too. We had like, I guess, probably two or three different types of group of people, but we had definitely the type of people who went to AA for a period of time, but left and would not go again because the religious stuff just drove them out. Um, then we had some people who were just traumatized by AA, you know, and they found our group and started coming to it. And then we have the people who would never, ever go to AA to begin with. Um, but when they l- learned about a secular option, they would come. But we went through a period of time where when I started, when we started our group, it was just me and one other guy. And we didn't really have any resentment towards AA or anything. We were just kind of starting off fresh. But we had a group of people who came from another AA group. And they were angry at AA and they were angry at their group because of mm. just how, I guess, authoritarian it was or whatever. And so they they started coming to our meetings in, in large numbers. And we had a lot of meetings that were just angry about AA, but were specifically... <laughs> angry about this one specific group that all these people came from. Ah, right. right. Yeah. So and it was kind of embarrassing sometimes. I, I would just kind of cringe. I was like, oh, God, please get us. Here, I'm, I'm an atheist. Thank God. But anyway, anyway, so anyway, we, we, um, anyway, we got through it, you know, um, and they're doing great. What, what happened is those group of people that came from the other group, 
they went ahead and started a second group that would meet on the nights that we don't. And so it's really nice. That gives us that gives us the option of having we actually have now in the Kansas City area three different locations where we have agnostic meetings and we have meet, a meeting every day of the week. There's an agnostic meeting in Kansas City. Yeah, meeting City. every day, really? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Wow. And how how big is the city? I mean, well, the, the city itself is is just about 400,000 for just the 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 inner city, but the metropolitan area is uh, probably a couple million. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's, it's a, a pretty large size. Yeah, yeah. Pretty large, but it's a huge geographically, it's a huge area uh, when you talk about the metropolitan area. So the people that come to our meetings are generally living close by, you know. So we're, yeah. we're drawing from that population of the 400,000 or so. Um, I mean, that's a, that's a fantastic thing because, I mean, you know, these days, if, if someone's thinking about stopping drinking and they're thinking about coming to AA, they're going to look on the internet. Yep. And if they're, if they're like me, I would be heading to your meetings if yep. I was a newcomer. You know, I'd yep. be reading some of the kind of gaudy stuff and thinking oh i can't face that and then yeah. you know seven days a week an agnostic or an atheist mm-hmm. meeting that's yeah. absolutely where i would go yeah definitely. yeah it's incredible i think that we we're going to probably see some more there's some talk about starting some and the outlying areas of the city you know i know that i know that the united states really isn't that different from other countries in that um when you get outside of the urban areas that's where it gets a little bit more conservative and, and in our case, sure. a little bit more religious. So sure. it's a challenge for the people um, having an agnostic meeting in the kind of a small town or a rural area um, around here. But I think that we're going to probably try to do that here pretty soon, um, have a meeting up in the uh, more rural area. And it gets a little um, it's, it's really odd here how you can just leave the city limits and the culture changes so dramatically. But um, it really does. It's, it's almost like a kind of outreach program, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there are people yeah. that live that um, that I hear from that live in the rural areas of Missouri who have just had really, really a horrible time with um, when coming out as an atheist and AA, and it's really difficult. So um, I bet, mm-hmm. I bet, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, th- th- that is definitely a difference between um, the states and the UK. I mean, th- there's much more of a need for these kind of meetings where you are. Yeah. Uh, in, in, in all honesty, I mean, maybe maybe still in Northern Ireland or in in parts of Scotland uh, where yeah. it's still quite religious here, maybe. Yeah. Also, but I mean, I was looking. Um, I was looking at the online um, you know, directory of international meetings, which I guess would have been your website or the agnostic website, um, and I noticed there's sort of fifteen or sixteen meetings across the UK, hmm. um, which is quite good. I mean, we've got, you know, some in Scotland and then some right down in uh, Cornwall. And mm-hmm. then obviously we've got these five in London. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, 15, 20 years ago, there were none. Right. So, yeah, it's happening here as well. Yep, it is. Well, it's been an interesting conversation. I, I really appreciate you um, doing this, Dan. It was really nice talking to you. Oh, my pleasure. Absolutely delightful talking to you, uh, John. All right, you take care. Keep, keep up the good work. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. Sorry. Well, that was a lot of fun. You know, it's hard to believe, but we've been at this a long time now. 
uh, that was episode 85, and episode 86 is going to actually be posted on this Sunday, and that's going to be a special edition podcast, and it's actually a recording of the monthly anniversary meeting of my home group, We Agnostics Kansas City, and we're going to post it because one of the celebrants is Julie Kay, and she's going to post an article on AA Beyond Belief that day, so we thought it would be fun to post the her anniversary talk along with that. Um, also um, on that uh, podcast will be Marty Kay, who celebrated two years of sobriety. And it was a lot of fun, that that meeting. I think you'll enjoy that podcast. So uh, and then after that, we've got two more people from England that we'll be interviewing. The first will be Lee uh, from London, and she'll be talking about Overeaters Anonymous from a secular perspective. And then we'll be speaking with Gary Bell. And Gary was actually in the documentary One Little Pill, which is all about the Sinclair method. And he'll be talking about that uh, from firsthand experience. So that should be a lot of fun. Uh, A lot of really interesting conversations coming up. So please stay tuned. We'll be back again real soon.